0: As we come before you this morning, Lord, you've heard the cry of our hearts as we have said all of our life is really about you. Lord, in this room right now, you know each one of us. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our pain, you know our struggles, you know our joys. But Father, together we just want to say that we love you. Father, we're here This morning, because in the midst of whatever is going on or our weaknesses, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to say thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We want to give you praise. And so, Lord, would you just receive that today from us? Lord, as we go into your love letter to us, Lord, would you... Through your spirit, show us bits and pieces about you that we don't know. And encourage us to walk the walk that you have for us. And Father, we just give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anybody remember what this is? It's an envelope. Some of us used to use these all the time. We would actually write letters to people. I know some of you are not understanding even what I'm talking about. But for those of you that are close to my age, this is how Teresa and I communicated. When we were engaged, she was finishing her last year of university, And I decided to go on a short-term mission for a year. And so I went to Brussels, Belgium, and we loaded up a a huge truck full of Bibles. We drove it down to uh, Greece in the Mediterranean, across over to Alexandria, Egypt, and we went all the way up the Nile into Sudan and all the way down in southern Sudan to Juba and just distributing Bibles along the way. And how we communicated was this. And when you are writing a letter, there is a sense of you're putting your heart into that as you're writing love letters back and forth. And what is important in a letter, it's not a short text. It is actually what is happening all around you. What is happening with your friends? What's going on in terms of a relationship with God? All of that coming down into a letter. This is God's love letter to us. Now the danger for us is we turn it into a textbook. And we try to analyze it and all of these things. But to actually take that step back and say, no, this is God's love letter to us. To reveal who He is. To help bring us into that loving relationship with Him. And how He did it is a used, simple people like you and me. And for these next weeks, we are going to be looking at, really, a love letter. A love letter from the Apostle Paul to a group not unlike our group here. Heart to heart to talk to them, to train them, to teach them, exhort them. And so as we go into this letter, to understand that context is going to be helpful for us. And so I want to talk at the beginning a little bit about the Apostle Paul. The Lord Jesus, crucified, was buried, rose again, And the disciples were there in Jerusalem, and thousands started to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But after a few years, there was a persecution, and that persecution started to scatter the church. And the man who was leading that persecution was Paul. And as many of you know, on the way to Damascus on the road, he has a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ where the Lord Jesus Christ pours out his grace, his love on a man who was taking his family to prison. And Paul came into that living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ around 33, 34 A.D., and Paul, uh, Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to set you aside and you're going to have a ministry. That ministry is going to be not to the Jewish people primarily, but to the Gentile world. And so I have some maps that I want to show you. Because Paul, launched by the Holy Spirit, started to go out and to reach people with the love of the Father. And around 46, 47, There was Paul's first missionary journey. And there we have this map. And I want you to just, they were sent out in Antioch. They went down through Cyprus. They started to see incredible miracles. Now, we all know that everything, when you're happening in ministry, goes really smoothly. Right? No problems along the way. Because you're doing God's work, right? Well, they leave Cyprus. They go straight north up to Perga, which is in present-day Turkey, and guess what happens? One of the team men say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm fed up with this. I'm not going with you any further. I quit. One commentator says it this way. He said, John ran back to his mommy in Jerusalem. Not a good way to begin, is it? Well, Paul went up with Barnabas and visited a couple cities. One of those cities is Lystra. Paul is having an incredible ministry in Lystra. People are getting saved again. But then one day, in a meeting, things go horribly wrong. And the crowds form. And they pick up stones. And Paul is trapped in the middle. And they throw stones at him until he is literally Unconscious. And then they take his unconscious body that they assume that he has died and they drag him through the streets of Lystra and they dump him outside the walls. Is that how ministry is supposed to go when you're following the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul didn't die. And he continued on in his ministry. And eventually, he finished that first missionary tour, went back to Antioch, and shared with the church there of the incredible grace of God as thousands came into that living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the time came for Paul to actually go back, what we call his second missionary journey. So, he goes to Barnabas, and he says, Barnabas, let's go and let's revisit those places. Great idea. And you know what Barnabas says to him? I'm with you. Let's do it. But let's go and find John. John Mark. You mean the one who left us? He said, yeah, that one. And Paul says, I don't think so. How can we take with us on this great mission of God someone who abandoned us, somebody who, who quit. And Paul and Barnabas got into a huge argument, and they split. Ministry is messy. So Paul took Silas, and he took an overland trip, and he went to the towns that he had visited before. He went back to Lystra, And he was encouraged by the fruit of the gospel in that place. And there was a special young man by the name of Timothy. And so he recruited Timothy to come and to join him, be on his team. And then they headed off and they took the northern route through Asia. And then they launched into, for the very first time, Europe. And the gospel started to go through Europe. After that, they wound their way back to Uh, Jerusalem. And so then around 52, 57 A.D., Paul says, I want to go again. And so he launches out, revisiting some of those places he'd been to. But when he comes to Asia this time, rather than that northern route, he wants to take the southern route because he knows there's a whole bunch of cities that are there that haven't been touched yet. And so just to zoom in on Asia... We see this, this map of the southern part of Asia and many cities you're going to recognize. All seven cities mentioned in the book of Revelation, they're here. They got their start through the Apostle Paul and his ministry. Paul, with his team, went to Ephesus. And for in Ephesus, he made a camp. He made a base. And from there for several years, he was going out and he was ministering to different places and people were coming to them in Ephesus. People getting saved, people being trained, discipled, mentored, and then sent back out. The book of Acts actually says that that, uh, all of Asia, all of Asia heard the gospel during that time. But there was also one man by the name of Epaphras. He came to Ephesus. He met Paul. He found the Lord Jesus Christ. He got trained and discipled. But burden, the burden on his heart, the burningness in his breast was to go back to his city and to share with people who had still not had a chance to hear of this incredible salvation in Jesus. And so that's what he did. He went back to the valley that he came from. He went to his city, Colossae. And he planted the church there. And he went to the cities that were around there, to Laodicea and Hierapolis. Paul, after spending two to three years there in Ephesus, continued on, went back through Europe, finished his third, minute, uh, third missionary journey, ended up in Jerusalem again, goes into the temple, and then he gets in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Pretty soon he is in prison, and trials come, and then eventually he says, I'm not going to be trialed here. I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. And so then we come to Paul's journey to Rome, somewhere around 60 to 62 A.D. They put Paul on a boat. He has... the the Roman guards that are with him, and they sail across the Mediterranean until they get back up into Italy, present-day Italy, and then to Rome, where Paul is put under house arrest. House arrest means he has freedom. People can come to him. He can go out, but he's still chained to a Roman guard. And while he is there in Rome for these two years... Waiting under house arrest, Epaphras, who planted the church in Colossae, went to Rome to be with Paul. And while he is there with Paul, he tells him about what is going on back home in Colossae. And so then Paul sits down and he writes a love letter to the people back in Colossae. So when we look at chapter 1 of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul is giving his greetings, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the uh, the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Well, we see in the greetings that guess what? Timothy is still with Paul. You know, sometimes I think we read too quickly through Scripture. But remember where Timothy came from? He came from Lystra. And you remember what happened to Paul in Lystra? Where he was brutally attacked, stoned almost to death. And here comes Paul just a couple years later. And he says to Timothy, why don't you come and join me? What was that like when Timothy went to his mom and dad? I'd like to go join Paul's ministry. And they're saying, you mean the Paul who we saw get brutally tortured and beaten and stoned? You want to go with him? And I think from a worldly perspective we look at that which one of us would let our children go off on a mission with somebody who had gone through experiences like that and even more because each one of us is thinking the same thing if it happened to him it could happen to my child and yet here we see the incredible grace of the living God. Because you see, for Timothy, for his mother, for his grandmother, who had also come to faith in Christ Jesus, that was the pearl of great price. That was worth everything. And from that spiritual standpoint, to be able to say, if our son could go out and give life to others like life has been given to us, we will back that 100%. And they released Timothy to go. And Timothy gladly went, knowing that he's going with a guy where riots and beatings and prison is actually the norm. But as he greets them, Paul says to them, grace. Grace. You know, if we go to the last verse in chapter 4, Verse 18, Paul says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace. He begins and he ends this love letter to the Colossians with this concept of grace. And the book is all about grace. And how God is working in the hearts of individuals. What is grace? F.F. Bruce defines grace this way. He says, God's unconditioned goodwill toward men and women, which is decisively expressed in the saving work of Christ. The Evangelical Dictionary of Theology says this, grace is the undeserved blessing freely bestowed on man by God. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to be in a loving relationship with God. None of us sitting here in this room. If we could put up a screen and it showed your life and your heart and the evil and the wicked stuff that you've done in your life, Probably the rest of us would go, we know who we are. Sinners in front of a holy God. And yet it is each one of us as sinners that God pours out that grace. He says, yeah, you're a sinner. There's a plan for you. I've paid the price for sinners through the Lord Jesus. And he gives us that ability to come back into a relationship with him, and he does it. It's all from him, and it's free. It is God's grace and his mercy that gets passed on to people. Well, as we move through Corinthians, I want to just actually stay in chapter 4 and look at some of these people that were so integral to the story. And so in chapter 4, And in verse 7, we see this. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus was on Paul's central team back in Rome. He chose him to take the letter. And I love the way that he describes him. A beloved brother, faithful minister, a fellow servant. Things that are so precious to us as we think about how do I follow Jesus? Am I known as someone who is loving, someone who is faithful, someone who is willing to serve others? And yet Paul is bragging about Tychicus, which I love, that he's building up his brother. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So there's this two-way street going on. He wants really those people to understand all that's going on at Rome and they will share that face to face. But then we come to verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And with him, Onesimus. I think that was a pretty awkward moment. Yeah, Onesimus is one of you. They knew him and they knew him well. Because Onesimus is a criminal Onesimus is a thief. Onesimus has a a, a warrant out for his arrest. Onesimus had been part of the the servant household of one of the leaders in the church in Colossae. And in his wickedness and sin, he literally stole money from him. How much, we don't know. And he took that and he literally ran away. And he went as far away as... As he could get, he had the means to do it. And he made his way all the way to Rome. One of the largest cities in the world at that time, over a million people, he could hide there. Until someone found him. Jesus. And it's in Rome that Onesimus finds the love of God. Onesimus finds the forgiveness of God. Onesimus somehow comes into contact with Paul himself. And Paul takes this runaway slave, this thief, this criminal, and he embraces him and he brings him into the kingdom of God to be a child of the living God. And he starts to train him up and raise him up. And it is just an incredible picture of grace. But Paul also knew that Onesimus had to go back. He had to go back. And in preparation of that, when he sent... Tychicus with a letter. He actually sent with Tychicus three letters that we know of. One to the church in Colossae. The second letter was actually to the churches in Ephesus, which is our book, our letter to the church in Ephesus. And then he also sent to an individual, a personal letter. A very personal letter. He sent it to the master of Onesimus, basically pleading for his life. The name of the man, Philemon. And here in our New Testament, we have recorded that very personal letter. And so I just want to read to you what Paul says in Philemon. He says this. Listen to just the the emotion happening here with Paul pleading to Philemon. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. Sending. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What an incredible letter of love. What an incredible demonstration of grace. Onesimus didn't deserve any of it. But God poured His grace and mercy out and brought him into his family. And therefore, Paul extended that grace from his perspective. And I believe that Philemon did as well because we have that recorded in our New Testament. I believe that Philemon not only let him go, but that Onesimus, as a result of that and his association with Paul, this letter literally went out all through the region and it became a famous testimony of the grace of God. Later in church history, about 40 years later, there's an interesting letter. The bishop of Antioch had been condemned to death. They were taking him to Rome. He's going to be fed to the lions, which uh, historians believe he was. And on the way, he was passing through that region of Ephesus, and he wrote a letter to the church. This is around 110 A.D., but I love what he said in the letter much later than what we're looking at here. But he said this to them, Since therefore I have received in God's name your whole congregation in the person of Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love who is also your earthly bishop, I pray that you will love him in accordance with the standards set by Jesus Christ and that all of you will be like him. For blessed is he who has graciously allowed you, worthy as you are, to have such a bishop. Many scholars today feel this is the same Onesimus. Someone who was a criminal, a runaway slave, who God takes from death to life From darkness to light. And then raises him up to be one of the leading uh, churchmen of the entire region. That's God's grace. That's what God can do as he works through people to come into that living relationship. Well, as he goes on in verse 10 to talk uh, and send greetings from others. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called justice, and there are, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. For the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So there they are, these three Jewish men that are working, and one of them, John Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. Why wouldn't they welcome him? Because they've heard the story. They know the testimony of this young man. He is the one that quit. He is the one that abandoned them back on the first missionary journey. And I just, again, am blown away by the grace that I see here. Because where is Mark now? Mark is in Rome, helping to take care of Paul. Mark has become part of his inner team. And now he's sending the greetings along with the others to this church. And there's this, again, this perfect picture of the grace of God. Have you ever messed up? Have you ever failed? Have you ever denied Jesus? Have you ever quit? I think many of us have. But you see, God's grace is for people like us. And God's grace can take our failures and turn them around And make them into uh, gems of His glory. And use us for His purposes in ways we never imagined. Mark went on to write the Gospel of Mark. Mark went on to go to Alexandria in Egypt. Where he did evangelism and eventually he planted a church. That church today is the largest church in the Arab world. It is the Egyptian Coptic Orthodox Church that traces right back to Mark. Mark was not a coward. As many in those early days, he also met his end in Alexandria as the crowds got too excited and they strapped him, tied him to a horse and dragged him through the streets of Alexandria for two days until he died. If you go to Alexandria, Egypt today, you can go to the the route that they took him on that horse because the road, the paved road today, has red on it to commemorate his faithfulness, his martyrdom. As uh, Paul goes on and he, he gives greetings from others, in verse 12, he talks from Epaphras, their Epaphras, the one that led them to Jesus who set up their church. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Verse 14, also with him, Luke, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. The beloved physician greets you as does Demas. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha, the church in her house. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. See that you also read the letter from the Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You know, that grace for us this morning, I don't know where you're coming from. Maybe this this whole idea of, of being forgiven of God is new for you. I just want to confirm God's grace is for you today. If you know that you have sinful things in your past, you know that you're not right with God, all you need to do is go to Him in prayer. Repent. Say you're sorry for those things. You want to change. Invite that salvation that God gives so freely to cover you and watch and see how His grace will set you free. Or maybe this morning you are struggling because you have failed or you have quit and somehow you have disqualified yourself from doing service for God. And you have bought into the lie of Satan who has said, you're no good, you will never be used of God. How can he use someone like you? Then for you, this grace is also to set you free, to say it doesn't matter what's going on in our past. It doesn't matter what has gone on. God's forgiveness, His love, His grace is poured out onto us. Soon we're going to be sharing in communion. And the very night that Jesus brought out the bread and the wine and gave them this institution of the Lord's Supper, it was the very same night that he had to confront Peter. The very same night where Jesus said that he was going to his death and Peter said, I will go with you. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, the rooster will crow three times. Or you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. You remember that? Can you get any worse than denying the Lord Jesus Christ? But what did Jesus say also at that same moment? Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But, Peter, listen to me. When you return to me, go and minister to your brothers. Jesus knows he's going to fail. Jesus knows he's going to deny him. But his love and his grace covers that. And he says, Peter, it's going to happen. But when it's over, you will come back to me and I will use you immensely for my kingdom. That is his grace. His grace for each one of us this morning. Uh, Let's just go to prayer. Those that are going to help with communion, if you could come up. Father God, we thank you for this love letter that you have given. We thank you, Father, that you have poured out on us things that we don't deserve. Lord, I just pray, I just come against the enemy who would like to continue with lies and and condemn people in this room. In Jesus' name, you may not do that. We are accepting the free gift of grace and love from the Father. And so, Father, thank you. Lord, as we go into this time of remembrance, Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit just to move amongst us and to speak to us the words that you want us to hear. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.